You're listening to Viet Startup Podcast. This is a series by Viet Startup London Community, where we interview emerging Viet entrepreneurs and influencers around the world. I'm Ha Nguyen, your podcast curator. For this episode, one of our community members, Anne Phong, sat down with a British entrepreneur and also a Vietnamese food enthusiast, Paul Hopper, to learn more about his food business, Hope Vietnamese. In 2012, after quitting his six-year career in investment banking, M&A, Paul traveled across Southeast Asia and stumbled upon Vietnam. He quickly fell in love with the culture and the cuisine and decided to bring back what he has experienced to London. The first Hope Vietnamese wrap and go shop was therefore open in June 2015. Now, Paul has two shops in the city of London and is in the process of expanding his business more rapidly. So, let's listen to Anne and Paul to learn more. My name is An Phuong, your episode's moderator. Today, I'm sitting in Home Vietnamese in Coleman Street, situated in the heart of the city of London, with our special guest, Paul Hopper, who is the founder of Hope Vietnamese. I'll go straight into the first question. How did you start Hope Vietnamese? So, the idea for Hope Vietnamese came when I used to be an investment banker in the city. Unlike most people, the, the lunch break of 10-15 minutes is your sort of golden escape from your boring mundane job and I was just getting very tired and sick of uninspiring food that was available on the high street um, at the same time my love for food was was um, exploding particularly for Asian cuisines that is everywhere in London but I really couldn't find anything really good on the go um, in in any of the Southeast Asian cuisines So I threw in the towel in 2012 and traveled to Southeast Asia to sort of find myself, I guess, um, and stumbled my way into Vietnam accidentally. Um, and the rest is history. I fell in love completely with the culture, particularly with the food. And uh, I became obsessed with the idea of trying to bring that experience back to London um, and to try and capture that street food um, busy, crazy, loud, vibrant experience that I remember having. Um, so I spent the next nine months doing a lot of research, meeting a lot of people, and then found a location in the city next to where I used to work, and, uh, and off we went. Okay, that's great. Um, as, as Vietnamese food is not native to you, how did you learn the techniques and recipes? Yeah, so this actually started uh, when I went back to Vietnam for the second time when um, I went deliberately to try and understand the cuisine a bit more and to refine the sort of menu choices that I thought I was going to put in the concept. So actually I ended up spending a lot of time with street food vendors across the whole of Vietnam uh, from Hanoi uh, down to Hoi An, down to Saigon and I actually as an English person it was quite a novel thing for me to go and approach a street food vendor and ask them how are you doing that dish And I was amazed that they were actually very open and actually would tell me like what the ingredients were, 
and these are like family secrets that have been passed down for generations and they were very open to tell me this is this is the brand you need to use for this sauce this is you need to do this so actually i learned a lot from the street food vendors themselves but also um, obviously there's a lot of cooking schools in vietnam for tourists um which i went to most of them um the main one was actually um the hanoi cooking center which as you guys might know is is um, supported and run by the koto foundation which is a, a really great foundation in, in Vietnam, which helps take um, um, homeless children off the street and to teach them how to, to work in hospitality. So um, that was kind of a link where I was learning a lot about the food, a lot of how to, how to cook, but also about you know, what charities existed in Vietnam, which is, uh, we ended up supporting this charity, actually. Um, do you see yourself competing against other Vietnamese restaurants? Not that much, actually, surprisingly. There are a few independent Vietnamese places around, um, but they're not really set up in a way that they um, cater for big volume um, people on a, on a short time budget, which is what I try to cater for. So actually the people that we compete with are all the other grab-and-go chains who compete for the lunch money, so Leon, Pret. Um, anything like wasabi, itsu, every, everyone that is in a similar format and they're, they're fighting for people's lunch money, basically. So not necessarily Vietnamese chains, no. And uh, why do you think Vietnamese food became popular in recent years? And do you think it can become a global cuisine like the Japanese or Italian food? Yeah, I think um, it's become more and more popular primarily through travel. Um, you know, There was some statistic that Vietnam was the number one long-haul destination in 2015 for, for British tourists, which just tells you something. You know, a, lot, a lot more people are visiting that part of the world. Um, so travel number one. The other thing is that it's actually surprisingly um, familiar to people when they actually go and eat it. So because of the French influence in the cuisine, um, people are used to eating baguettes. They're just now eating a banh mi, right? But it's the same thing, albeit with a different flavor profile. And people are used to eating, eating soups, right? They're used to eating salads and noodles and rice. So actually when they come in to hop and they see, oh my God, this is new weird Asian cuisine, and they look around and they look in the fridges, what they see is actually stuff which they're used to eating, just maybe not the same flavor profile. So the, so the cuisine, when you look at it against other Asian cuisines, is actually the most familiar to a Western palate than any of the others. So people, people understand it really quickly. And I think that's why it's starting to take off. A lot of people can relate to it quicker. Um, so what is your favorite Vietnamese dish and how would you describe it to your friends? It's a bit of a cliche, but it has to be beef pho. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, maybe it's my experience. Maybe that's what, why I fell in love with the cuisine when I was in Vietnam, um, sitting on a street corner at eight o'clock in the morning eating eating noodle soup is a was a bizarre experience but it made so much sense to me at the time that it's just stuck in my brain now but to, ex to describe it to somebody it's uh, you know it's a aromatic bone broth with noodles and fresh herbs and chili uh it's light but also nourishing and and makes you full at the same time But the beauty of it is that you can make it how you want, right? So if you like it spicy, you can make it spicy. If you don't like some of the herbs, don't put them in. You know, it's one of those dishes where everyone loves it, but everyone likes it in their own little way, which is, I think, that what makes it unique. 
I'd like to add to that that uh, it helps me personally very much with hangover. Yeah? Yeah, so it's great. Good. <laughs> Uh, were there any difficulties that you experienced when you started? Lots. Lots of difficulties. Um, I mean, the first one was that Vietnamese cuisine is not that well understood in London, or in the U definitely not in the UK, but in London, even, even in London, it's, you know, there are certain pockets of London where you can get Vietnamese food, but it's not that widely known and not that widely understood. So actually persuading landlords and potential investors that people actually wanted a Vietnamese grab-and-go concept. It was actually the first challenge. Um, once I got over that, finding a property was, was brutally difficult. Um, London is so competitive for restaurant space um, that every, every site that I went to bid for, you'd be up against 20, 30 other people bidding on the same thing. And somehow this unknown startup with no proof of concept had to try and win um, so that was really 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 difficult um, and then actually just getting uh, the right people involved it's a people business so finding the right people took a long time Paul can you recall one of your toughest day running hope there's been many um, but there was one recently which was particularly stressful um, we, we run a model where we have uh, we have a number of suppliers who um, help us prepare some of the food. So they'll, they'll cook maybe three or four of our sauces or, or proteins, and they, they deliver them into us. And one day, I came in a few weeks ago, and my main supplier that do maybe 60% of our food for us called me to say that they'd, um, they'd had a fire and they'd burned down completely, um, which <laughs> was an eye-opener. Uh, and the reality of that situation was that within 24 hours, we wouldn't have food for over half of our dishes. Um, so we had to find a solution within that, the same day. We had to somehow recreate all of that food without that supplier being around, which was a massive challenge because at the beginning we... Well, first of all, we had to find another supplier, but that sort of thing you can't do in 24 hours. That's, uh, it takes at least a few days, more like weeks. When I originally set up the company, that took me months to do. And we had to find a solution within 24 hours. So actually we started cooking everything ourselves in each of the shops, um, which A, we didn't have the ingredients for any of the food, so we had to somehow find supplies that could get us the ingredients and then for us to cook it in the shops individually and bridge the gap between that and us actually reestablishing a new supply chain. Um, so there was a situation where we were basically had the decision of whether to open the doors the next day or not, um, which could have been really, really bad for the company. Um, but obviously we survived. We found, we cooked everything in-house for a couple of days and then miraculously actually found a new supplier and then got everything back on stream. And three days later we had a new supplier set up and all the product was back in and the customers had no idea that it happened which is amazing, but it's just one of those things where when an emergency happens like that, you always find a solution to it, and then the next time it happens, it doesn't seem so bad. But at the time, it was like life or death of the company at the time. It's how it felt anyway, because we literally had no product <laughs> to sell. Yeah, it was pretty stressful. Wow. Um, okay, seeing from your store, um, 
uh, I can see a lot of uh, imagery depicting everyday life in Vietnam. So, what, what do you think of Vietnam? Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on the imagery. It's, um, this was deliberate because the everyday life in Vietnam touched me so much when I was there that I wanted to make sure that it was in my, in my shops as well. Um, it was the culture and the people that actually blew me away so much when I was there that actually gave me the, the real inspiration to do it. You know, as a nation that, that's been through so much uh, trauma over the years, uh, it's amazing how welcoming Vietnamese people are to, to Westerners, given the history, um, which I found very humbling when I was there. Um, and it's just such a communal place where you know you're sitting on the street corner with a family and a worker and a businessman um and, you know cats and dogs and everything else and you're uh, everybody eats together around the same table sharing from the same plate of food um which i really loved um but more than anything i saw their um the, f the fearless attitude that um that vietnamese people have was just totally inspiring to me so actually when when i created the company Um, there are there are a few main values that the company stands for, and the first one is fearless. So, and that was purely around seeing Vietnamese people go about their everyday lives in a massive hurry, and they're always trying to uh, do deals, even with foreigners. They'll come up to you and try and sell you something, even if they've got nothing to sell. Or, you know, they just had this fearless outlook on life and you know, they're riding bikes every day amongst thousands of people. Almost looks like they're going to kill themselves every day and they don't. They somehow just <laughs> weave between each other. And that stood out to me. So the first one for us is fearless. So we, um, you know, I want my staff to be fearless like the Vietnamese culture and people that I witnessed when I was there. Another one is um, energetic. You know, you walk into a, a Vietnamese uh, market and you can't, you're hit with this wall of like vibrancy and noise. Um, and there's just, almost sounds like singing. And there's Vietnamese ladies just going crazy and it sounds like cats or something, like chippering away in the background. Um, so that energy was so crucial. I really wanted to make sure the shops were really bright and vibrant. My, my staff wear floral, floral outfits, a lot like Vietnamese street food vendors in Vietnam. Um, and you come in here at lunchtime and it is so loud because we turn the music up, my staff are singing and dancing. And you, you should feel like you've walked into, a, into a, a vibrant street food market in Vietnam. So the energy was the huge thing that I saw. Um, and the last one is um, collective, which is our third value, which is um, what I told you about. You know, there's a very uh, communal and collective um, atmosphere everywhere in Vietnam. Everybody shares and sits around and shares together. So again, I want to share the Vietnamese experience with the people of London, which is why I created the concept. And my staff and everybody involved in the concept are, are told to share that knowledge with customers uh, and share the knowledge with each other. So yeah, actually Vietnamese people and the culture had a massive, profound effect on me, so much so that everything in my own company revolves around that. Wow, that's very powerful. Um, and so what is your future plan for Hope Vietnamese? We've got big plans, but in the next three or four months we're going to be opening two more shops in the city still um, and then after that we'll take the next step and go to 10, 20 sites in, in London um, but longer term I can see it being 30, 40 sites in London alone but then there's no reason why we can't take it nationally 
take it to other big cities across the UK. Um, we can also think about going international. We're already getting approached by lots of people in, in Germany and in the US asking if they can franchise hop in their, in their own countries. So there's no reason why realistically hop couldn't be a global brand at some point. But for now, we want to you know, keep growing one by one, get to five, get to 10, get to 20, and then see what options are available. But big plans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a statistic that uh, nine in 10 startups fail in the first year. What's uh, the key ingredients to success in pulling off the idea for hope? Yeah, that is a scary statistic. And it's from what I've witnessed, it's true. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of, of um, competing food chains started since I started mine, and, and almost all of them have failed. Um, it's, it's about the, doing the research and knowing, knowing your industry. Um, before I started Hop. I spent nine months solid doing research. Now that might be just that's my nature and that's my background from my analyst days as being a banker. But you know, I would stand outside of all of my competition for months, clicking and counting how many customers that they were coming through the door. I'd stand or sit in their restaurants and time how long it took a customer to be served at the till in Lyon or in Pret or in all of these all of the competition and pool all of that data together to really fully understand why is this competitor better than that one on service time, how many customers are being served on this street by all of my competitors. So how many can I expect to serve if I was to get a site on that street? And based on that information, I would know how much I was able to pay in rent, how much I'd pay in staff. Knowing all of those fine details um, actually make a huge difference. It's the difference between breaking even or making money or being loss-making. You really, 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 really need to know the, the detail on, on the numbers. Um, I mean, that's one thing, but there are so many moving parts in a, in a new startup. You need to be able to keep a cool head. Um, but then also surround yourself with people who, are, um, who can fill the gaps that you don't have in your own skill set. So, you know, if you're not very good at marketing, don't do the marketing. Get somebody else to do it. If you're not good with numbers, why try and pretend that you understand the profit and loss statement? Get somebody else to do it. Um, focus on what you're good at, and then you know you'll uh, let other people do the other stuff because there's way too much for any one person to do. So, um, as the last question, what advice uh, would you give to our audience who would like to become entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's, it follows on, but it's um, don't be don't be shy in seeking advice before you start. Everyone's quite proud and protective over their idea when they start. And I can assure you, once you've actually done it and you've been in the game a couple of years, you forget about that entirely. Um, so reach out to people who've already done it. You'll be, you'll be amazed how willing people are to talk about themselves. Right? So if you're going to start a new food concept cold call all the people that you admire right and ask them for a coffee and remind them that they were once in your shoes and they would have loved some advice when they were in your shoes and they'll 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 remember and you you wouldn't believe how many people would sit down with you and and tell you all sorts of stuff which you wouldn't believe you would never expect them to tell you um and it's gold dust it's it's worth so much in uh 
in spending as much time as you can learning from the people who've already done it. You're going to save yourself so much time and money. But at the same time, everybody's got an opinion. And it's very, very difficult to, um, to not listen to everyone. Um, so listen, but then always, always go with your gut and your instinct on, on your idea because you, know, you need to filter out the noise but then ultimately go with your gut instinct. Paul Hopper, the founder of Hope Vietnamese, a grab-and-go Vietnamese food store in the heart of the city of London. If you liked the episode, then click on the subscribe button on our iTunes channel. My name is An Phung, and we will be back soon 